Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. voice of welcome again and uh, Lisa you did a great job for us thank you for for being willing to be baptized because that's kind of a brave thing to stand in front of a bunch of people and go underwater so uh, praise the Lord that that uh, I hope my prayer is for you that uh, that will be a memory you will have the rest of your life and anytime anytime you're having hard times or anytime something difficult is going through remember your baptism remember the day that you said yes publicly to Christ, and uh, and how brave you were, and uh, how resolute you were in that. Okay, that's that's what you're gonna do for me. Fair enough. Yes. Okay. Thank you. And also, I might add, Lisi, Annalise. Many of you, some of you know her by. Many of us know her by. Lisi uh, was probably one of the uh, most polite people that I've ever baptized because she came up to me afterwards to thank me for baptizing her. I don't know how many of you people I baptized. You ever came back and thanked me? You can do it today if you want, okay? You can do it today. You come by, I'll be out there today, and you can thank me later, okay? So, hey, so in the mid-90s, there was a movie that came along that uh, was one of those movies that kind of helped seal the deal for an actor to be one of America's actors. Uh, It also was uh, profoundly, it was one of those movies that, one of those rare movies that comes out of Hollywood that profoundly touches much of our culture during that time period. And uh, if you're wondering, you're like, okay, now what, what movie are we talking about? Well, it was mid-90s. We're talking about none other than Forrest Gump. Remember Forrest Gump? About that unique character that lived in the South and had crazy adventures all across America during a very tumultuous time in American history, coming across a path, a myriad of uh, characters and interesting people that, uh, that you just can't help but identify with in some cases, want to get to know a little bit better in other cases. Maybe you shun for in, in some cases, right? And remember, one of those characters was a guy named Lieutenant Dan. You remember when Lieutenant Dan was introduced to Forrest Gump? They were on a tarmac in a, uh, in, at a base, at a, a command base in Vietnam. Uh, and, and Lieutenant Dan uh, told or described to Forrest how his father died in a war, and his father died in a war, and his father died in a war, and his father, going all the way back to the Revolutionary War, that if there was a major conflict, one of Lieutenant Dan's uh, family members, one of his direct uh, line, one of his direct fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, died in that war as a commanding officer. And so it was just in his mind and in his lot that he would die in Vietnam as a lieutenant in the United States Army. And of course, Forrest Gump had a way of interrupting that and saved Lieutenant Dan's life. And do you remember he lost his legs? as a result of that. And then later on in Forrest's happenings, his goings about, he encounters Dan. And you remember Dan was a shell of a man. He was wrecked because he went through some storms in life known as warfare, and it didn't happen. It didn't turn out the way he had planned. Uh, The way he had planned was that he would die heroically in this conflict and life would be over, but that didn't happen. And Dan felt robbed. Dan felt at loss. And here he is in America now uh, with, without any legs in a wheelchair, not knowing where to turn or what to do. And, and there's a scene 
that I think is a, a beautiful metaphor of what Dan's life was like and also what, uh, what many of us are dealing with, have dealt with, will be dealing with in the future. Max, would you go ahead and turn that video on? Remember, after this, and we didn't have time to show this video too. If we keep on showing one video after another after another, you'd be like, what, what, is, what is this church? Is this a movie review show time, you know? But uh, there was uh, one other scene that was incredibly beautiful after this scene. And uh, it, was, it was stationed, they were on their boat, and Forrest was doing some rigging, dealing with some rigging on the boat, and, and uh, Lieutenant Dan was in his chair, and he pulls himself out of his chair onto the edge of the boat, and you're wondering, what's, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen? And you can tell there's just a different person. Uh, Gary Sinise did a great job acting in that, in that role, and he just portrayed a different person, a person who was calm now, a person who was not filling over with anger, boiling over with anger. He was, he was at peace. And he gets up onto the edge of his boat, of the boat, and he says, Forrest, I never told you something. And Forrest just looked at him kind of like, what? And he said, I never said thank you for saving my life. And he spills over, he dumps over into the, into the water, and he begins backstroking to land, back, begins backstroking, swimming back to land. And Forrest, on a voiceover, as that scene is unfolding, says, you know, Lieutenant Dan never said this, but I believe he found peace with God in that storm. Wow. Uh, what an incredible spiritual truth that is in a story that we, are, that we find in our, in our catalog of movies, our catalog of stories that impact our culture. First of all, I'd say this, there might be some of us that, you know, when you saw that scene, you find yourself a little bit uncomfortable. You know, you're kind of like, I don't know that I like that. I don't know that that's, I don't know if that's a, a good thing to the things that Dan was saying, the anger he was showing, the 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 hatred or the the frustration he had towards God and towards life. I don't I don't know if I'm comfortable with watching that. Well, if if uh, if that's you, I certainly understand. I've had those thoughts as well. I would invite you to consider a patriarch of the Old Testament, and I would ask you that as you come across in Genesis about a man who wrestles with God all night long because he's mad. He's mad at life. He's mad at what's happened. He's mad at what God has given him. And he's so angry that God comes down to have a face-to-face -face visit, and they wrestle all night long. That man's name is, of course, a patriarch that we revere, many of us, named Jacob. Now, if you're uncomfortable with seeing this scene, then I hope you're just as uncomfortable reading that passage out of Scripture, because that is exactly what was happening in Genesis of a man who was angry with life, a man who was frustrated with life, a person who was angry with what was given to him, and he ultimately is angry at God, and he and God have a showdown for an entire evening. Uh, that is uh, what this picture is in life. And, and this story resounds at least to me because I see the story that it, it shows us and that, that we all can relate to and that we all go through storms in life. We all encounter incredible disappointments and incredible frustrations and, and, and things that just, just sideline us and make us wonder if life will ever be the same, if I can ever be happy, if I can ever have joy again, if I can ever have peace or if I can ever have friends again. We all encounter that. 
And, you know, my experience has been, as I've watched in the pastoral ministry, as I've been in this ministry for 25 plus years, uh, I've seen how people will react in those scenarios. And, and you could sum them up in really one of three dispositions or one of three ways. One, some people, many people, they just get stuck. When life hits them and throws them a, a left hook, when life gives a gut punch to a person, it's very easy for people, those people, to just get stuck. What am I talking about? I'm talking about that they refuse to change. They are people who just quit. They're people who ignore reality. They perhaps rationalize their situation that even though they are living in hell on earth, they rationalize and say, oh, it's not so bad. I, this is my new normal. And I can just deal with it. And you just rationalize and you just, you just continue to allow it to rule. These are people who they tend to get depressed and they have de depressive uh, dispositions. These are people oftentimes you, you know that you're probably in a stuck position right now if you just tend to go through the motions, right? You get up, you have breakfast, you go to work, you go home, you go to bed, you get up, you have breakfast, you go to work, you go home, you go to bed, you just keep on doing the motion, just saying, if I just keep on looking in front of me and just moving the next you know, two feet, just doing the next thing that's in front of me, and, and you're just going through the motions, you're a person that's probably stuck in life. Then there's a second way that people respond when, when life throws them a punch. And what that is, is those are people who they just, they just get angry. They're just angry. And hear me clearly, there's proper time for anger to be there in a, in a lifetime. And, and there's proper ways to show anger. I'm not anti-anger, but I'm talking about these angry people who they just blow up. They're just a hand grenade, man. And they're just looking for someone to pull a pin on them so they can blow up on them, on their, on their neighbors, on their families, on the whatever, whatever situation, whatever scenario they're in, they are wanting to blow up on someone. They blame people, right? All the things around me that's going on is your fault and your fault and your fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's my. It's the government's fault. It's it's who. It's everyone else's fault out there. They they blame people. Oftentimes these people act out, and the sad thing is they do things that. If you, if you ask them five, six years down the road, they're embarrassed about and they regret. They act out in such ways that they cause tremendous damage to the people that, they, that love them the most and cause harm to themselves. They do things that ultimately they'll be embarrassed for down the road. There's a third way. That this is the path, of the, the, the path that is least trodden. Uh, it's people who they can learn. They can learn from the situation. They can learn from the gut punch. They can learn from the left hook. And these are people who will tend to, they face facts. They're able to see clearly what is in front of them and recognize it. And the, the thing that separates them from the people who get angry or the people who get stuck is they take responsibility. These are people who own what happens in their life and they will respond accordingly and recognize that they have a part in it usually, usually. These are people who have the ability to not only face the facts, take responsibility, they have the ability to change. They have the ability to grow. They have the ability to become different as a result of the storm that's in front of them. And they become, at the other end, a different person, and I would argue, a better person here. Hey, folks, if, if 
you just get lost in my artistry, art, artistry here, and you just don't understand what I'm saying. You're just saying, Tony, I wish you'd, make, wish you'd just spit it out, what you're trying to say. Here's what I'm trying to say here. I'm trying to say uh, that today in front of you is an invitation that when you experience life, the storms that are in life, like in Lieutenant Dan's case, or the gut punch, the left hooks, the things that really challenge us, instead of viewing them as terrible things that we must avoid at all costs and get away from with every possible chance, could we perhaps change our viewpoint to just a little bit where we're not looking for those things, but at least when they come into our lives, we see that God has not lost control, that God is not left unaware, that God has not walked away from you or, or is a little less loving towards you because you're facing those things, but instead that God is using those things. He's allowed those things because he is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He, he has allowed those things to come into your life so that his glory will be shown, so that you will be changed for the better, and you will be a different person. Now, let me tell you, if you're looking at life very secularly, what I've just said is impossible for you to follow. It is impossible for some bad things to happen, disease, death, financial loss. If your reality is, I'm going to live 60, 70, 80 years at best, and when I die, it's over, then yes, it's impossible. If that's your view of life, it's impossible for what I said to be true. And it's impossible for you to, to say, you know what, I can, I, can, I can take what you're saying, Tony, and buy that. The only way that you can actually take what I'm saying and say, you know, I'm willing to give this a try, is if you have the long view in, in this world. If you have the long game in mind, and that is that for us as children of God, as Christ followers who've said yes to King Jesus coming into our lives and changing us from the inside out, forgiving us of our sins, providing us eternal life, that for us, life does not end when my body, my physical body is lowered in a grave. Rather, I will exist for all eternity. And so for that, God has the long game in mind for you and your character development and for what he's trying to make you be the kind of man or woman, the kind of child of Christ. He sees beyond just the grave. He sees beyond the pain or the suffering that you experience today or tomorrow or even years to come. But he has the long game in mind. And for that, as we delve into this a little deeper, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter chapter four or chapter twelve as we look at verse four here. And this writer is speaking to a whole group of people who are struggling. And he says in verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's an interesting statement, and make you or I go, what's he trying to communicate there? Here's what he's trying to do. This is the biblical shorthand for him saying, hey, buck up, buttercup. You don't have it so bad. What's he doing here? He's saying, he's, he's pointing to, because he knows these people are what? They're Christ followers. And so in their mind right now, they know keenly about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And he's pointing to Jesus, and he's saying, hey, you haven't died on a cross yet. You think you're struggling? You think you're suffering? Have you shed blood like Jesus shed? Have you been arrested? Have you been ignominiously laughed at and, and mocked and made fun of? Have you been tried in a court of Rome for sedition? Have you been given the death penalty? Have you been nailed on a cross? Have you had a cat of nine tails go across your back? Have you had a, thorn, a crown of thorns put on your head for the sin of the world, for sin that you've never committed? Well, the answer is no. 
then quit complaining, is what the writer's saying here. He's saying, your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Verse 5, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Verse 7 continues on, says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father. Now, let me tell you how for years I understood this passage. I understood that this passage said, when you sin, when you start stepping outside of God's will for your life, expect discipline to happen, expect bad things to occur in your life, because that is God's way of getting your attention and causing you, causing you to take note that you need to repent. You need to change you need to change your life. You need to change some things in your life. Hear me clearly. I still am convinced those things happen in people's lives, especially believers' lives, because there's other passages of Scripture that speak into that very truth. But I used to think that that's what this passage was speaking about when it was talking about discipline. Until a few years ago, when I started looking at the word study and understanding this passage better, I realized that is not what this passage is talking about. This passage is using discipline in a totally different way than the idea of, of uh, discipline that a dad does to a kid who's outside of, of, um, of societal graces. You know, the, the thinking that, okay, a, a kid is screaming out of control, that father takes and spanks that kid, or the father comes and, and puts that kid in timeout, or the father comes and takes the keys away from that kid. The father or, or mother, the, the parent, disciplines their child it's not talking about that kind of retributive discipline. Rather, what it's talking about is the discipline of day to day that a good parent puts upon their child. What am I talking about? The idea of, hey, pretty quickly when your kid gets to a certain age, they, you, you know that they need to have some responsibility. So what do you do? You, you start giving them a list of things to do, like taking out the garbage, feeding the dog, mowing the lawn, right? You begin to begin to process them where they have things that they have to do to, to help the family. Why? Because it brings discipline into their lives. It's the idea, the understanding that we just naturally create a pattern in life where our kids brush their teeth every day, right? They shower every day. We, we begin the discipline, teaching the discipline of how, you know, what normal hygiene or cleanliness looks like, right? Why do we do that? Because we love our children. That's what, that's what this scripture is talking about. It's not talking about God sitting here and pointing his finger at you going, you should have been trying harder. Boy, you, you really disappointed me as your dad. And so now I'm going to discipline you and I'm going to make you feel the pain. That's not what this passage is talking about at all. This passage is talking about a regular standard of behavior, uh, uh, if you will, a curb being placed or a, a line being drawn saying, let me help you understand the boundaries in which you will thrive in. How do I know that? What's, there's many reasons as we do a, if we were to do a deep analysis, but very quickly, I'll give you one. Verse 6 says, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. That word chasten is a misunderstood word. And by misunderstanding that word, we naturally think, oh, well, this passage is talking about, you know, the kid is out of control, and so the father chases you. Know, stop that! Stop that! Sit in the seat! 
sit up, be quiet, put on your seatbelt, don't make me turn this car around, right? That's chastening, we think. Wrong. That's not chastening. That is a misunderstanding of the word. The word chasten, if you look at the original meaning of the word, and you can do this when you leave. Don't do it now. Don't go to Google now. But when you leave, Google chasten. And what you will find, the original meaning of the word, the word used to, to, that, that this author is trying to communicate is to have a moderating effect upon. When you chasten someone, you're hoping to have a way to moderate that person. It's, it's the image of an artist who looks at his sculpture or her sculpture and sees just a couple of contours that are a little bit out of whack, sees a couple of rough edges. What do they do? Do they get a chainsaw and hack half the sculpture off? No! They get a fine, a fine tool or they even get sandpaper if it's a wood sculpture and they lightly buff those edges to get those those rough points off. They moderate, they moderate the sculpture. In the same way, this passage is talking about that God wishes to moderate you and I, because let's face it, you and I, you and I, some of you, when you've talked to me, you've used this term before, which I don't totally understand it, but it's the term we use. I'm one hot mess, right? That's a phrase that many of us have used. I'm a hot mess. Well, let's face it. We are all hot messes, right? We all have the ability to be great rebels. We all have the ability to get ourselves in incredible levels of trouble. What does, what does life in Christ, faith in Christ, what does our, uh, uh, the, the coming together as a body of Christ and growing in our, in our life with Christ, what does that have? It has a moderating effect upon us, doesn't it? It moderates us. It keeps us from being just a constant hot mess to maybe at some point, I don't know, we become a, a warm hot mess, a warm mess. And then maybe we go into being a lukewarm mess, right? And then we go from being a cold mess. And then maybe from there we just quit being a mess and we start looking like the image of Christ. I don't know. But, but we, we moderate. And that's what God is doing here. He's moderating. So could I invite you to do this? Could I invite you to look upon, perhaps you're in a situation currently that is like that storm that Lieutenant Dan was going through. And could you perhaps begin working yourself into saying and understanding that that situation is not God spanking you. It's not God shaking his finger at you. It's not God attempting to take your car keys away from you. But God has allowed those situations to enter into your life, to be a situation in which it's a chance to develop your character, it's a chance to develop your life into an image of something wonderful and eternal that will be there forever. Going on in verse 9, we see, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So the American way is when you're in a life and you don't like what's going on, jettison, right? Look for the escape hatch. Find the door to get out of it. Change your circumstances. 
And we, we spend a lifetime where whenever we feel pressure, whenever we feel uncomfortable, whenever we feel like something's going on that I just don't like, we change it because we're Americans and we can do that. Because we have money, we can do that. Because we have power, we do that. Because we have options, we can do that. And hear me clearly, I'm all about when you're in a bad situation, figuring out how to make it better. I'm not telling you just to lay down and just have, you know, just, just, just give up. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that there is, seems to be in our life a heck of a lot of people who when life is going tough, they say, I quit. I quit. When their marriage is going bad, some of us have said, we quit, we're done. And again, hear me, it's not to be pointing fingers at you, but, but as an American culture, we tend to look for a parachute way too early in life. We, we, our jobs, getting tough, I mean, we see that a lot. I don't, I don't see any of the snowflake generation here, so, so I, can, you know, I can make you feel better. You know, there's a whole younger culture that when they go to work, they're going to have a rude awakening, right? They're going to feel like, they're going to be like, what? Your job is not to, to tell me how great I am and how wonderful, and where's my participation trophy at? And am I going to get a promotion in the next couple of months to be CEO of the, of the business? What? It's the first time they've ever experienced that. And that culture, we're going to see what they're made out of because some of them will just quit and go to the next job. And guess what? They'll go to the next job and the next job and the next job. And, and one day they might be unemployable because they've got a record of 10 years of staying at somewhere for six months at a time. I also believe there's going to be a lot of snowflakes who aren't snowflakes, who have been given great work ethics from their parents. And they're going to learn. They're going to learn through that. And they're going to grow deeper. And they're going to be people who can say, you know what, I can stay through the hard times in a job and they'll be good employees. Brian, I'm guessing you found some young adults who have been good employees over the last few years, haven't you? And so we'll see that. We'll see that as well. But what I'm saying is this, is an American culture, we just, we're too busy. When life is hard, we're too busy going, I don't like this. This must not be God's plan for me. And we quit. And sometimes God's plan for you is hard, friend. And it's miserable. And it's not fun. And you can't quit, but submit to it. Submit to it and embrace the promise that we see here. What is the promise? It's, it's found in verse 11. It says that later on, even though, even though there's nothing fun about this discipline, nothing, not pleasant, it's painful, but if I stick to it, if I lean into it, if I grow from it, what's the promise that God gives us? It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Friend, I'm going to tell you this. If, and, and we don't have time to do it. I, I could tell you a story how I quit things in my life that I've seen as being hard. I get out of them, right? Fortunately, I don't, I've learned to change those ways in my life because here's what I've found. I've, and I'm just telling you, if you're a person that you, every time it gets hard for you, you push away, you, you get the the jetpack or the parachute, and you get out of the plane, you jump through the escape hatch. If that's who you are, just know that you're not going to have a life of peace. You're not going to understand the peace of God because the peace of God is found in people who go through the storm and they experience God's presence in the middle of the storm. You're not going to have the kind of righteousness that people 
and other generations will look at you and go, I respect that person. I see the scars on their body. I see the battle scars from life. I respect that man. I expect, I respect that woman because of what they've been able to go through, because of what they've done and how they've stood firm and resolute in the midst of the storm. You're not going to have that kind of righteousness and be able to speak that kind of righteousness to people's lives if every time it's hard, you flee. Know that the only way you are going to get the kind of righteousness that God's talking about here, the kind of peace in your life that all of us, I believe, so desperately want, is when you can hang resolute in the midst of the winds. When the storm is howling around you, you can, yeah, you can be scared. Yeah, you can be crying. Yeah, you can be hurting. Yeah, you can be confused, but you also know that God is there and you can go through it with him. You will experience God's peace and his righteousness, and those will be yours. And then we go on in verse 12 and says, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So what are we, what's he talking about? The writer's saying, hey, do not give up. Do not escape. And what's the advice? The advice is this. In the midst of turning to God and looking to God, strengthen yourself. Strengthen yourself. Get up and prepare. Take responsibility. Strengthen, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. If you're weak, take time to make yourself strong. So how do you do that? How do you do that? I can tell you probably how you don't do it. You probably don't do it by constantly running the problems over your mind and just worrying and worrying and worrying more. You probably don't do it by choosing to stay in your bed and keep the covers over your, of your bed over your head until 2 o'clock in the afternoon and push everyone that loves you away from you and refuse to open up God's Word, but instead spend all the time you can just looking on the Internet or playing video games or, or watching movies and just, just eating you know packages and packages of Doritos all day long. Those things probably are not going to strengthen your feeble arms or your legs. See, the Scripture is saying we do have responsibility for ourselves. So in the midst of the storm, make yourself stronger. Make yourself stronger. Do that by getting in God's Word. You're saying, boy, you preachers, you always bring God's Word into it. Well, the Scripture does. Because in, in verse 13, it says, make level paths for your feet. What is he talking about? He, this, remember, this writer is a Jew. He understands the Old Testament very well, and he understands clearly the, the synonym or the, the metaphor of level paths, the idea of what the, the Scripture David proclaimed in Psalms, that my, your, your word is a light unto my path, right? And so he's saying, hey, for you, your path is all over the place, and it's hilly, and it's, it's, it's broken. Well, make it level. How do you do that? By staying in God's Word. By staying in God's Word. Make your feet level. There's a Lieutenant Dan il illustration here that even though you're lame, even though you can't walk, you're not crippled. You're not disabled. But rather you will be healed from it is what, is what the writer's saying. And so I conclude today with just asking you, how are you responding to your training in your life right now? If you're going through things and they're tough, I would invite you not to consider them as tragedies that you have to avoid at all costs, but, but instead these are opportunities for your character to go even higher than it has already, to grow even deeper, for you to understand and grow closer 
to Christ because the promise is, as that happens, you will see righteousness abound in your life and you will see peace that passes all understanding come into your life as well. Let us pray. Father, we come before you right now. And God, you know our hearts. You know our lives. You know the scenarios that every person, every person in this room is dealing with. And so God, I just ask that you speak into our lives today. That you help us, Father, as we're going through times that for some of us it's it's terrible, it's painful, it's gut-wrenching. Lord, if there's people in this room that are in those experiences right now, would you speak into their lives, into their lives in a profound way? Would you use your church, would you use your church to help, to minister, to encourage, to to just even just say, keep on moving forward. Just add a boy, add a girl, go a little further down the road. Would you use us in that way? And Lord, if we're in those struggles, would we look to other people, to your church, to be those kinds of helps and that we wouldn't push those folks away. We wouldn't throw punches at them. We wouldn't hate them. We wouldn't be angry with them. But God, we would look to them as our brothers and sisters in Christ and rely upon them for support and encouragement. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.